Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast about UK-German friendship, past, present and future. In this edition, we want to explore how popular culture, especially music, connects the UK and Germany. My name is Jochen Möller. I'm the spokesperson of the German Embassy in London. Music is a bit of an intimidating topic. There is so much to say. If we looked into the past alone, this podcast might run for hours. And even then, we would still risk to forget mentioning some important names and German-British connections. To focus on the present and future, we are glad to speak today with Jay Wilgoose, Esquire, of the UK-based band Public Service Broadcasting. His project released a new album in September. This album, Bright Magic, is strongly influenced by the place of its inception, Berlin. Public Service Broadcasting will also perform live in Berlin, Cologne, Hamburg and Munich this November. Welcome also to Gabi Biesinger. Gabi works for an actual German public broadcaster in London, the NDR. So now that we have a German and a British public service broadcaster on the mic, over to you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jochen. Thank you for the introduction. Hi and hello to you, Jay Wilgoose, founder and mastermind behind public service broadcasting. Pleasure to talk to you. And um, as you have uh, heard just now, I am a journalist for German public service broadcaster. And so I'm amazed by your band name, I must say. Um, and I also noticed that your first album was called Inform, Educate, Entertain as the mission statement of the BBC. How did you come up with this idea? Yeah, I mean, the name the name came about back in the early days of doing demos of this, just, you know, I, I was kind of using speech samples that I found online. Um, you know, I was making music in my bedroom and, and just putting these kind of speech samples on it from public information films. And it just seemed quite a sort of very... Uh, wry and quite sort of you know dry humor to sort of suggest that what I was doing was some form of public service broadcasting so the name of the band was was kind of formed as a result of that and um, I had the idea you know wouldn't it be great to do a concept album where each track was based on a different public information film and and that's that's where the whole thing started really it's changed quite a lot over the way but um yeah the, the name of the first record definitely ties into that because that was famously Lord Reith's uh, mission statement for the BBC um And, and in a kind of comical way, we do attempt to do some of those things. I think we're much more focused on entertaining than anything else, though. <laughs> yeah, but when I when I saw the first titles of your first albums, Battle of Britain, The Race for Space, um, Every Valley about the British coal industry, uh, to me it sounds a little bit like these uh, albums should be added to the curricula at schools. Is that uh, teaching material for history lessons? I have heard that some people do, yeah. <laughs> Which I kind of feel very sorry for the kids at school, but... Um, Yeah, no, it, we, we've definitely, because especially some of the subject matter, especially some of the stuff about space, because it has such obvious appeal to, to you know, people from all walks of life, but especially to kids, you know, kids just love space. Why wouldn't they? Why shouldn't they? Um, so I, I do know that, it, it, you know, in its own sort of strange way, it has ended up being quite kind of informative and, and kind of a bit of a, a door or a gateway into, into these worlds for people, you know, for young kids who might not have really kind of got into it before. I do get emails from parents saying that, you know, they heard the record and, have just become obsessed with space and you know it's really nice to read it it was totally not why i started doing this and um you know it's just a really nice byproduct really it's it's lovely to think that there's there's people actually genuinely 
learning about stuff and becoming enthused about stuff through our music. You pointed out the entertaining aspect, of course. And um, when it comes to describing the music you do, I found a very nice quote from a fan who left this on YouTube next to your most recent video. He wrote, if New Order and Depeche Mode had collaborated and then employed a German female vocalist and asked the Pet Shop Boys to produce, it might have sounded like this and this is great. Is that a flattering review in your eyes? Um, yeah. Feel yourself recognized. <laughs> I mean, if you want to put us in the same sentence as any one of those bands, let alone all three, then I'm very happy. <laughs> very happy. They're all, you know, absolute titans. So, um, yeah, that's 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 lovely. Even to be mentioned by, uh, in the same sentence as one of them is, is great. They're, they're, you know, I'm very flattered. And what other influences are in your music? Of course, Kraftwerk, the German band, came to my mind immediately. Yeah, I think if you're if you're involved in any way in electronic music, then you're you know even if you're not directly influenced by Kraftwerk yourself, then you're 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 you know you're influenced by people who are influenced by them. So they're they're kind of the the godfathers of, of nearly all electronic music, aren't they? Um, so yeah, definitely they're they're a big you know a big factor behind the album, especially some of the vocoder usage and and some of the way that we've used the German language on the record. I think is directly influenced by by Kraftwerk and the way that they. They, um, you know, that they employed it in quite sort of minimal, but sort of very sort of pseudo futuristic way. Um, you know, other kind of classic bands from that period. So Cluster, Noi, Harmonia, um, basically anything that had either Mikhail Rotter or Brian Eno involved in it. I've kind of, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. So, um, yeah, a lot of German influences on the record, a lot of a lot of other European influences, obviously a lot of UK influences and, and the bands who'd kind of gone to Berlin and to Germany to to record, whether that was to Berlin itself or whether it was to, you know, to record with Connie Plank over in West Germany, you know. Um, there's a very kind of strong sort of cross-fertilization, I think, that's been it's been a very fertile ground since since the 70s, if not before. So um inspired by a whole whole raft of stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, let's um, let's talk about this uh, Berlin and Germany experience you you just had. So your your most recent album, Bright Magic, uh, you went to Berlin and you quote on your website, uh, it was uh, in Europe's de facto capital, the cultural and political metropolis that is the Hauptstadt of the Federal Republic of Germany, Berlin. And you lived there for almost a year from April 2019 to January 2020. And so you returned just before for Corona. Well done. Was this your first time in Berlin or what was so fascinating? Why did you move there? Well, it wasn't my first time there. And we, you know, we'd been lucky enough to tour since, since 2013, we've been quite regularly touring Europe and, and I think we'd played there eight, eight or nine times. So I've been there, been there quite a lot, but, um, you know, at the most you get one day off uh, and that's, that's not a given. So hadn't really spent a great deal of time there, but, um, yeah, but even before the first time I went there in 2013, I had this kind of very romantic idea of, of what Berlin was and what it represented, especially, you know, in the, in artistic terms. Um, and I just, I just had this idea in my head. I don't, don't really know where it came from or I didn't at the time, but just to move there to write a record, you know, I think a lot of UK bands have that kind of impulse. Berlin just has this kind of aura of cool about it. And, you know, the people who've gone there in the past to, to kind of reinvent themselves or to reinterpret themselves through the city, like Bowie and Depeche Mode and, you know, um, uh, U2 for Acting Baby, all, all these kind of bands, as well as all the stuff that's happening locally in Berlin, like Einstutz and Neubart and, and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, it's just such rich ground that it just kind of, yeah, even before having been there, I just had this picture in my head of Berlin as this kind of 
you know, creative and imaginative uh, sort of mecca almost. And then, it, and then when it came to time to writing and researching the record, it was really about working out, you know, where did I get this picture from and, and why do we sort of carry these pictures around of, of places we've never even been in some cases in our heads and um, where does that come from? How true is it as well? I mean, for a German, it's quite flattering to hear that you say Berlin is a cool city because um, we always think uh, there's cool Britannia and the cool Britannia thinks there's boring Germany or something like that. So um, it, it, it's nice to hear. So correct uh, this stereotype. What did you find cool about Berlin? I mean, all, all sorts, you know, the, the people are cool. <laughs> um, from an environmental point of view and from a progressive city point of view, I found it was it was an interesting experience having, having you know, I grew up in London and I've lived here for nearly all of my adult life. So to see firsthand what you know how it can be done differently and better you know um spaces like the temple of airport and how that can just be somehow preserved by by the will of berlin citizens to be this amazing open space you know for for wildlife and for people and and you know to help during the refugee influx of of sort of 2015 2016 um you know how how bird life is catered for in the city you know i i love birds so the the chance is kind of see goshawks in the city center is just unbelievable it's just you know it doesn't happen here um all, all kinds of stuff like that and even down to you know sort of the fashion you know you don't really see that many people young people wearing new clothes so much of, of what people wear is recycled so much of the the kind of the economy revolves around sort of flea markets and you know you reusing stuff leaving stuff in the street for people to take it's, it seems much less kind of materialistic and much less sort of overtly capitalist i suppose than than london which is you know especially over the last 10 15 years london has just become driven by this kind of sort of hyper capitalist sort of you know lifestyle almost which which i find quite off-putting so for me that was the most inspiring thing about berlin but you know that's just one aspect there's there's all kinds of other things that are very um you know very kind of alluring and, and intoxicating in terms of the atmosphere that they create for for people who aren't from there There's a German saying that people in Berlin do come across at times a little rough, but in <laughs> fact, yeah. and uh, underneath, they are totally supportive and likable. We say uh, Berliner Schnauze mit Herz, so mm -hmm. snout with a heart. Can you uh, share this experience? Yeah, I mean, having said, you know, I, there were things I liked about it from London. I did find it was a slightly less... Like the small gestures of everyday friendliness, London gets a very bad rap for it. But I, th I think London is actually a pretty friendly place to live if you, if you kind of keep your eyes and your ears open. You know, people are normally willing and able to help you if you just kind of break through the, the initial boundary. But Berlin, yeah, I did find it was a little bit more kind of if you if you offered a sort of you know sort of friendly just sort of half smile to someone, they'd kind of look at you like, mm, not sure about you, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there's there's maybe a bit more of a kind of. Uh, bit more of a kind of austere sort of surface to things there but but you know people are people wherever they are and um it doesn't really take much to start breaking those those sort of barriers down um and and just you know yeah i just i just found it a real it's just so interesting sort of exposing yourself to another culture in that way and 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 seeing another sort of city ticking you know up close it was a real privilege to just be able to spend some time there and kind of call it work really um and you know gain all these insights and try and feed them into the record one way or another. You also took your GCSEs in, in German. Yes. Nowadays, that's unfortunately becomes less and less popular mm -hmm. with uh, English pupils. Yeah. Do you still have some samples, how you got along in, in Berlin? Yeah, I can ich kann es verstehen, aber ich kann, kann nicht es sprechen. Yeah. Um, ich, habe es, ich habe es vergessen. Yeah. <laughs> Wieder, yeah. Um, es ist zu schwer. Deutsch ist zu schwer. Und, die, und mein Deutsch ist schlimm. Also tut mir leid, aber ich muss auf Englisch sprechen. 
Yeah. And to be honest, that sounded quite fluently. So, <laughs> bravo. That's 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 about it. Yeah, that's about it. I, I could, you know, I could do stuff. I could do some of the more bureaucratic stuff and admin stuff, and I could speak to people in German, and they wouldn't speak English straight back at me. So it got, you know, it got to a reasonable level, but always within five or six sentences, you know, they'd realise I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> they'd have to speak English. But there, are, you know, a lot of people in England think everyone in Germany speaks English, but of course they don't, especially the older generation. So there were, there were several, you know, in, you know, kind of encounters where I just had to speak German, just had to get on with it. Um, you know, I bought, a, I bought an old tape machine, which I made a lot of the record on and the guy who ran that kind of old radio shop did not speak a word of English and I had to buy it off him and then had to take it back when it was broken and then had to come back and collect it and you know all of that all of that in German and, and got by so it can't have been too bad I don't think it was functional if not perfect <laughs> yeah um, but before we come to to your record um, I just would like to revisit um, an Another Englishman's visit moving to Berlin, you already mentioned him, David Bowie. Um, and I think this was really um, an iconic thing that he stayed there for two years. And what I found quite interesting, actually becoming clean from drugs in 70s Berlin, which sounds sort of not very likely. But nevertheless, mm. he recorded three albums in this period, Heroes, Low and Lodger. And he produced them in the famous Hansa Studios, where you went as well for your record. Did you feel his spirit while you worked there? Um, I tried to. You know, I, I'm not a particularly spiritual person, certainly not a religious person. So, I, you know, I'm not kind of, you know, not normally detecting auras and, you know, sort of, <laughs> you know, want to sit around cross-legged and chanting or any of that. But but at the same time, you know, when you walk into the big hall at Hansa, the Meistersaal, which is, you know, which is where he recorded the vocal for Heroes, which is possibly one of the most famous rock vocals in history. I think one of the most emotional um, and emotionally resonant, certainly. And, and, you know, all the other stuff that's happened in that room, whether it's you two being in there and writing One, which is another of my favourite songs, you know, there's just, there's just, there is something in that room for me. And maybe I'm imagining it. Part of the record is is about kind of investigating these these stories that we tell ourselves. So much of it is kind of myth, and we kind of believe it, even though we also know that it is myth. You know, these are stories that we tell ourselves. It's part of the human condition, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I I definitely felt something special in that room, and I also felt the pressure of you know I was I had a studio at Hansa, so I was writing there, and, and then we recorded there, and I just felt the pressure of putting myself as a very kind of, you know, middling musician into, into the company of these greats and just thinking, oh, what are you, what are you doing here? You know, imposter syndrome was, was very present on a daily basis. Definitely. <laughs> well, David Bowie, 40 years later in, in 2013, he remembered his, his years in Berlin and put out another album. So you, you will have the chance in 40 years time to go back there. I'd love to. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely love to. Yeah. <laughs> So, of course, we want to listen to some of your music from the new album. You had uh, some German guests on your album, like the actress Nina Hoss or the singer Andrea Casablanca or the musician Blixer Bargeld, uh, best known from bands Einstürzende Neubauten and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. How did you come in contact with them? And um, what can you tell us about this Anglo-German artistic exchange you had? Well, yeah, the process was different for all of them. So, so you know, I, I managed to get 
get a contact for Nina Hoss and just sort of asked her semi-directly, I suppose, and and amazingly she was up for it, so that was great. Um, yeah, with Andrea, you know, uh, she plays in a band called Ber- she plays in a band called Gur, who are based in Berlin, and I approached her just just online first and just said, you know, I'm I'm writing this song, um, which is going to be called originally it was called My Blue Heaven, um, and it's going to be about Marlene Dietrich. Would you be interested in in working together on it? I think your voice would be perfect for it, and so we we kind of met virtually and then sort of hung out in person a bit and um and wrote the song together and she did a fantastic job and then um era who's a berlin-based norwegian-born musician is on two tracks on the record and, and that was a similar thing just you know meeting in person talking about music and working together the blixer was a slight it was slightly unusual for me in that um it was actually suggested to me by by the label so normally you know i was kind of run a mile from anybody the label sticking their or in and just you know don't interfere with the creative process type thing, but um, but they they seemed to think it was feasible that we could ask Blixer to do this track to Mr. Machine and 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 see if he was actually you know uh, up for contributing a vocal to it. And I I just thought, well, I mean, he's not he's not going to be. If you want to ask him, fine. Um, I'd love to have him on the record, but he's not going to be interested. Um, but it turned out that he was, and you know, he's on the record. He, he delivers an amazing kind of monologue that he wrote. You know, very kind of freewheeling monologue. Um, which only really would work in German, I think. Um, and to have someone like that on the record and to have the kind of kudos and the, the you know, the kind of endorsement, I suppose, that that brings is, is just, yeah, it's ridiculous. So um, we were just very fortunate across the board, really, with, with all of our collaborations and, and collaborators and that they all also brought something to the record that I wouldn't have been able to do myself and we wouldn't have been able to do as a band ourselves. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was very fortuitous experience with with all four of them um and exactly the sort of experience that i hope to get from moving to berlin and meeting like-minded musicians in a, in a different city you know from a different kind of culture what i found really interesting and a little bit peculiar that you said you recorded sounds from streetlights in the Leipziger Straße, which was the first street in Germany in the 1880s where electric lampposts had been erected and you put them into the song. How did that work? Yeah, that was that's actually in the song before that on the record, which is called Im Licht, which was which was written about the the Great Berlin Im Licht exhibition of the late twenties. So, um, I just got an idea. You know, I guess what I was trying to do in moving to Berlin and write this record was to move there and pick up the atmosphere and pick up these these pulses and these kind of heartbeats and and some of the energy and try and filter it through me and put it on the record. And and when I'm writing a song about you know Berlin being the city of light and and you know the home of light bulb manufacture and also all the other kind of metaphorical side of the light bulb as being this kind of inspirational, imaginative, you know, metaphor is the ultimate kind of metaphor for imaginative um, inspiration. thought maybe I can do something that, that illustrates that wider approach but just kind of you know in microcosm so I, I have a little device which is made by a Russian company um, which is basically like a kind of wideband electromagnetic receiver and I wandered up and down the street at Leipzig Strasse and just recorded sounds um, and then kind of manipulated them kind of sprinkled them across the track and you get these kind of static bursts coming and going 
and managed to make one of them into a bass drum and another into a hi-hat and you know it's kind of becomes part of the fabric of the song and it was just a really cool and actually really fun and very geeky way of kind of playing around with with you know um creating sounds out of the environment that you're in and that was one of the big reasons for going to berlin was to try to try and do that kind of stuff in situ as it were You have already mentioned um, the Norwegian singer Ira. Um, you did a couple of songs with, and um, let's listen to this song, um, People Let's Dance, or Kom Tanz. And what is really important about this song, you need to see the video, because there is a, a great, graceful ballet of five charming ladies skating around an industrial site. But that was actually filmed in London, was it? Yeah, it would have been great to do it in Germany, but, um, you know, things things weren't as easy as they, they always have been the last 18 months. So, yeah, we did it. We did it in London, stood in for Berlin uh, in spirit, if not if not in anything else. Yeah. So let's listen to People Let's Dance oder Komm Tanz. start your UK tour in October will you be on roller skates as well on stage <laughs> uh, no <laughs> I find it hard enough in shoes <laughs> no it'd be, it'd be lovely to be able to tour with with the, you know our, our roller skating troupe but um, maybe for the odd special show here or there we might see if they're available but um, no sadly not <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you will be touring Germany as well um, what are you particularly looking forward to well you know getting in front of, of German audiences and seeing how this how this goes over, you know, um, hoping that it goes well. If <laughs> obviously if it goes badly, then that'll be not fun. But I think it should go okay. Um, and and you know, a very kind of emotional semi homecoming to Berlin to play these tracks because um, you know it was a difficult period to have recorded the album. I, I left in January 2020 to come home because my wife and I were expecting our first child, and we we were supposed to then go back and kind of um, finish the record and have a nice kind of early summer in Berlin for two or three months in 2020, but obviously that became impossible. Um, so instead we kind of had to rush in in September where there was this brief window of opportunity to record it and then just get back out while we still could. Um, so it kind of feels like a lot of unfinished business really, especially as far as Berlin is concerned. So I just, just want to get back there and kind of, you know, give these songs uh, some life, you know, see them come to life in, in the city in which they were composed and, um, hopefully it will be a really special, special evening. All the German shows will be special, but hopefully Berlin especially. Um, and, it, you know, quite an emotional one for us, I think. Um, we're just hoping that it, we're just hoping it all goes to plan and we can actually do it. But, yeah. And I, I can't avoid this question. I've heard um, there has uh, a lot of be, been a lot of anger um, in, in uh, British artists uh, concerning the post-Brexit rules for traveling to Europe. Have mm. you had any experiences with that? Well, um, we've been looking into what we need to do this time as opposed to what we did last time, which was just get in a van and drive to France and then drive on from there. And obviously it's not that simple anymore. Um, yeah, it's a source of immense frustration and sadness. I think, um, in general, that, that this generation of musicians and, and especially the ones coming through now aren't going to have things as easy as we did in terms of, you know, just playing, uh, all the countries that are on our doorstep in Europe and nothing can take the place of that either, you know? There's no kind of magic trade deal they're going to do with Australia that suddenly makes Australia a viable alternative. You know, you can't just <laughs> hop in a van and be in Australia in an hour and a half. So, um, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. Uh, it's going to be a real headache in terms of extra costs and extra time costs um, and just the stress of all the extra bureaucracy. So, 
yeah, you know, we still do it because we still love playing across Europe, but it's just a shame that it's going to be significantly harder. Um, and especially for emerging artists, you know, I can't, can't drum that home enough, but people like Roger Daltrey and, and Bruce Dickinson who voted for it, they'll be absolutely fine because, you know, the Who and Iron Maiden are massive bands and they have people to do that for them. But if you're a young band trying to get your first leg up, you know, on, on, on a European tour, you probably can't afford to do it now. So, you know, uh, thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> thanks for that one. Okay, not to finish on this uh, somber note uh, with Brexit. One last question. If you were one wish granted for the relationship between the UK and Germany, what would you wish for? Um, it might sound ironic coming from me because, you know, we, we made a record about World War II and, and one of our most famous songs is about the Spitfire. I don't think, I hope not in any kind of nationalist or triumphalist way because we were quite careful not to do that. But I would like, I think, some elements of UK society to come out of, you know, um, this imagined kind of post-war sort of this kind of uh, sort of adversarial relationship that they seem to be determined to drum up between us and Germany because we've got so much in common and they're two such great countries and two such great cultures and we've seen you know we've been talking about some of the cross-fertilization of those cultures and so much great music coming about from the mixing of those cultures I think it would be great to just kind of get over um, what happened in the 20th century remember it properly and make sure it can't happen again but but recognize the fact that we're in the 21st century now and hopefully we can just all be grown-ups about it and just kind of get on with being grown-up Europeans sharing a, con a continent together. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Jay Wilgoose, talking to me, to us, to our audience. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>